Hello and welcome to another episode of the Flip Lip Podcast. My name's Ian Broom and today I'm joined by Lawrence Holloway, uh, previous CTO and founder of Lovestruck. Hello Lawrence, would you mind introducing yourself? Oh, thanks very much Ian. I'm Lawrence uh, and I was the co-founder of uh, Lovestruck, uh, the online dating service um, that launched as a startup out of the UK. Um, my role from the beginning was as the CTO and uh, Chief Architect of the of the platform and products, and uh, saw that journey from the very first lines of code to uh, the eventual exit to an international buyer. Um, the whole process took about ten years, um, so there's a there's a lot a lot learnt and uh, uh, some some highs and lows uh, during that time. So it's, it was a fascinating project from start to finish, uh, and so uh, I came into it uh, as a as a, as a as the chief techie um, with a completely blank page. Um, previously, I'd worked uh, as a lead developer, building websites uh, and uh, front end, back end, uh, so much of the kind of traditional full stack stuff uh, for a variety of clients and agencies. Uh, some being blue chip, uh, some being startups. I'd also done quite a lot of consulting on my own as a freelancer. Uh, helping people build uh, e-commerce uh, and uh, uh, type of publishing platforms for you know, pre-WordPress even some of these things. So um, really as a hands-on technologist I, yeah, I, I came came to Lovestruck with, with my co-founder and we got our heads together. He was a marketing head and I'm the tech head and we decided we'd just mash our heads together and, and, and produce uh, an online dating service that was geared very much towards professional audience um, and trying to harness mobile at a very early stage you know the iPhone uh, wasn't released until after we'd started so it, it was it, it was a really interesting time to do not just e-commerce but also a product that was um, not based in the physical world really it's a you know it's it's about matching people with other people so interesting algorithms and uh, interesting use of mobile. So we, we went from, from zero pretty quickly to a launching product that was actually charging people within the space of six months. Um, so it was a very fast startup. Um, at that time, we were doing other jobs as well. So we were doing it at night, at night and pushing out the features and releasing code. In the, at 5 a.m. and then my co-founder uh, with me was uh, was out for handing flyers out at the tube station at, at 6.30 in the morning to get the commuters who are our target audience. Um, so real, um, a great story. Yeah, it sounds almost the classic uh, startup story in a way. You guys sound like you, you did everything almost by the book, um, although I'm sure it didn't feel like by the book at the time. Um, I've got to ask the obvious question, I feel, which is they say that you know you should build what you want or like build the product that you need. I'm sure I haven't, I'm not the first person to ask this question, but were you and your co-founder building a product first and foremost for yourselves um, or were you trying to fulfill the needs of a market that were kind of one step away from you? I think it was a bit of both. I think um, we were possibly quite naive going into it, which I think is also another classic startup uh, founder thing and happy to admit that at the time that we thought that we could take a slice of this this seemingly profitable market of uh, subscription-based uh, online dating, which 
um, seemingly had no cost effectively and uh, you just had to launch a product and people would come so you you know that that, that it was based on that but also um, yes we were single at the time and we were interested in researching this tool uh, for our own you know our own benefits uh, but uh, the 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 classic twist in this is that uh, the week before launch I met my wife who is now my wife I, I shortened my wife for another few years after that but we um, I never used it as a single person myself so uh, that that was funny but it, you know it was still intellectually interesting throughout the whole process as well and you know we found that uh, part of what we were trying to do is to make single people enjoy being single more and also to empower them uh, with uh, a great lifestyle of going out. We were very much focused on going out and enjoying the best of the city. And, um, and so you obviously alluded already to the fact that the business has been sold. So what are you doing now? So now I've been taking a little bit of time out, which has been fantastic after 10 years with Lovestruck um, from start to finish. Uh, so I thought a good, a good way to spend my time for the, in, in this interesting period would be to catch up with a lot of uh, old contacts and, and friends and talk to them about the amazing businesses that they've been building while my head's been down with Lovestruck. So it's, it's a case of a, a bit of time to, to look, up, look up and look around um, and also help uh, where I can. So I've been advising a variety of entrepreneurs and startups um, across quite a broad range of areas from uh, pro helping with product, helping with uh, management uh, and team structure, and also um, looking at helping people raise money at the right time and, and putting some effort into honing the story of uh, a very early stage startup that is trying to raise their first round of investment. So I love the early, the early stuff. Super early is for me is where the real excitement happens um, and also being able to help some more established companies um, with some growing pains and uh, and really being interest-led I think it's very easy to, to lose a lot of time when you are focused on a on a serious project that, that is your baby and and I think it's important to have a wider uh, experience as well so I've really been trying to step outside of my own experience and mindset um, to learn from others. So it's kind of mentoring and being mentored at the same time. Okay. Well, that sounds like it'll be rel very relevant to the upcoming questions that I have for you. So I guess let's start with talking a bit about the build stage mm. of Lovestruck and maybe kind of correlate that to what you see startups doing now. So obviously Lovestruck from the very beginning was yeah. kind of uh, something that really benefited from mobile. And I know that you personally have been involved in many rebuilds of the Lovestruck uh, kind of product uh, throughout its lifespan, uh, yeah. or up until up until you obviously sold it. So, um, so I guess what, like, if, if we were kind of converting it into a series of recommendations um, based off your experience about the build stage of startups. Or, you know, it could be new products or services inside existing big businesses as well. It doesn't have to just relate to, to people who want to start something on their own. How would you go about 
um, uh, approaching the build phase uh, when you were at Lovestruck and then how do you see it being different nowadays? You know, I, I have some warmth for the scrappy startup time. Um, there was expertise because we were experienced in, in delivering marketing and tech for other companies. So we, we weren't complete novices. Um, but when we came to building our own business, it was, it was we really just need to launch this. So we'll, we'll look at some, other, some of our competitors' features. We'll look at the things that are good. We'll look at the things that we think people will absolutely need. Um, but then if effectively, we just launched into building it you know, head first. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing that right now with the partly, yes, it's experience, but also partly that I think the tools for testing ideas are so much better. Um, today, uh, it's very uh, simple now to even with a landing page and some good lead ads on Facebook, you can you can really test your idea and your proposition. We did that to a degree because we were building and launching all in one go, <laughs> and actively marketing before uh, we, before we'd really built out the full feature set. Um, but that came quite quickly, actually. So there is a certain value to rapid, rapid iteration to, to, to get yourself to launch um, without doubting yourself too much, but also I would highly recommend, so I'm currently evaluating uh, a couple of business ideas to, to bring to market, hopefully later this year, one or two or, or, or both perhaps. Um, but I think this time around, I would actually test the proposition with real customers before uh, even committing more than a couple of lines of code because, um, a, it's possible, and B, it's just a smarter way to do it. Um, but that's not to say that the that there's something magical about the startup drive and the startup inspiration that you are. If you broke it down too much, you, you would never launch. You would be, you know, you would be deterred by uh, the voices around you. So, you know, the, the the passion needs to be there to get yourself. Uh, you know that first product out there, and 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 really trying to connect with consumers, uh, and that was I think something we did really well with Lovestruck. We built a product that was it was well architected. It was a bit flaky in certain areas, um, but it spoke to the customers in the right voice. I would say that's a key takeaway: is is really um, know your what your customer are looking for and entertain them while you're you're doing it, and that. Doesn't necessarily just approach. Uh, it doesn't necessarily just apply to uh, consumer startups, but I think also for enterprise as well. I've, I've, I really believe that enterprise software users are are people as well, and they need to be entertained, and they need to feel uh, empowered and welcome, and and uh, and 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 talk to in the right language. So uh, we spent probably now looking back a lot of a lot of our time was around. Uh, language and voice, tone of voice, and people used to sign up to our service and said, your emails just made me laugh out loud and I'm happy to stay with you. I know you're new, you've only got a few hundred profiles on here, uh, it's not enough, but I'm going to stick around because I'm having a good time. So there, there was, you have to bring your customers, early customers on, your, on the journey with you. So um, on the tech side, uh, to fill that in, I think building a good technical foundation was something that we did right. Um, some of the presentation of it was pretty ugly in places, um, but I'm proud to say that 
at the after 10 years the actual core of the lovestruck uh, engine the the database design and the 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 architecture much had changed but actually the where the way it was thought through was still there um, much of the presentational layers were were built rebuilt several times over during that time of course but um, I think a solid foundation we never had to scrap our, our, our database design which you know I'm, I'm very proud of uh, proud of that because it was it was thought through and, and had a lasting part but you know I, I wouldn't say hold on uh, there's a lot you wouldn't hold on to from that first build um, so it, it's a mixture and how do you think uh, the different aspects of product creation challenged you and your team because I assume it wasn't just you and your co-founder the entire time I assume you ended up getting other people um, and and I guess what was the area that you think maybe in hindsight you might have reprioritized if you were doing it again or or flipping that to a future facing question uh, that you see maybe other companies not putting enough resource into in relation to their build phase uh, that they really should be. Um, so if, if, the, an example, not to just leave you high and dry, um, I know that uh, Fliplet has some great people inside the organization, but no one has the, the target of getting onboarding working as an example. So yeah. onboarding is a continuous like challenge for us um, mm. because of the prioritization of resources currently in the organization. Well, just to answer that specific area, onboarding is not something we really got right until we were about three or four years in. Amazingly, it sounds, because it, 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 working those conversion rates, especially for something uh, like online dating, we have a lot of people at the door and the funnel is it, it, to, to get through to a paying customer, the, the, the drop-off is, is, is incredible. Um, uh, but really, I think from the, the, early, the early stuff, it's hard to now say that it's the same because so much has changed during that time nothing you know, you're not you're not on a on a playing field that is the same shape and and the shift to mobile was something that we were really playing towards we raised off our round of investment we only raised one round of investment which was not a huge amount of money uh, and and that helped us build our first mobile app um, but it also helped us launch our marketing as well uh, on the tube. Uh, I think with hindsight, knowing how mobile was going to go, we would have added more, uh, been a braver with mobile. We were one of the first uh, to launch mobile online dating and also take payments via, via mobile. Um, we launched iOS and Android within a few months of taking our round of investment and, and they were well liked and well used. Um, but maybe we should have doubled down on the mobile or tripled down on it and absolutely uh, focused on it. There were specific reasons why we didn't. I think we found people were willing to pay us more. So the commercial reasons that so people were willing to pay us more via web. Uh, and that kind of locks you into a, a, a web-focused world and the mobile apps are more of a uh, peripheral thing. I mean, that's perhaps harsh. We found that people were using our mobile, were using just using the mobile app, but they were also using two different, they were using iOS, Android, and web, and mobile web. So we were across all these platforms, and we are trying to juggle them all. Um, and that was really hard with a small team to, to get consistency across those platforms. So 
I think to have become a mobile first company would have been really brave. Uh, say you're talking like 2010 for online dating, we would have, when we took our money and we should maybe have just said we're going to go mobile and maybe um, have lower prices uh, and go for scale. Um, so it's, it's easy to look back now because you see the prol prol proliferation of um, free, very large mobile apps that have, you know, Changed customer expectations so much, uh, and I and I and I think it's it's ultimately customer led because once customers get a taste of one thing on mobile, uh, they expect that to apply to other products, not even in the same category. So uh, we found that with online dating as well, and uh, you know we had to rapidly rebuild our mobile offerings and and then our website as well. So we did a full rebuild of, of everything within 18 months uh, across all four platforms, web, mobile, web, and iOS and Android, and try and keep that consistent and try and keep the budget tight, as, as tight as possible. Uh, and then you throw in it's a very seasonal business, so our launch deadlines were always geared towards getting out the end of December before January was a huge spike in traffic and potential revenue uh, to get your products launched with them. So uh, to manage an, uh, a team that was both outsource and in-house, a blended uh, approach with external designers uh, and developers and some internal developers and project management and analysts to try and get those projects all launched before a very hard deadline was um, pretty amazing stuff. Uh, I look back now and think I, 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 I can't see how we did it to be honest. But you know, it's it's the drive and the and the and the excitement and the fact that you you your life depends on it uh, that really gets you there. Well, that leads us nicely into my next question, which was about promotion. So you obviously touched on. Uh, building a whole bunch of new things and obviously mm. having a launch date of January if you're really going to get kind of maximum return on investment from your efforts. Um, but then I guess what were what were you doing in the early days and what were you doing towards the end of Lovestruck in, in relation to promotion? And I guess, again, are there any kind of core lessons or, or things that you're now advising startups to really kind of consider? Again, I'd say things shifted dramatically during the time scale that we started. So when we started, no one was really on the tube doing online dating. So we, you know, we knew that our target audience, again, we, we were naive in some ways because we wanted to take over the whole of the UK and compete with the Match.com's and eHarmony, who were incidentally spending 10 to 20 million pounds a year on TV advertising at that time. So there's a bit of naivety, but we also knew that we could forward a credible aspirational brand uh, and and punch above our weight in so many ways. That's a, that's a cliche that probably most applies to Lovestruck uh, throughout its whole history. Um, so really we knew that we needed to build trust in our very new brand and uh, new product. So uh, we really went big on, on brand marketing actually and, and I think we wouldn't have survived if that didn't stand up to scrutiny. Um, and it was really, again, a focus on empowering single people uh, and being high quality. We, we weren't going to try to be niche either. We were just trying to be um, a premium uh, a premium product that applied to professional people who had mobile technology. So 
I think choosing choosing an audience really at the heart of the whole proposition was was key. Um, I think we tried later on to be more general and have a UK focus, and we found that didn't work quite so well, um, which then led us to international expansion uh, with the original proposition, which was appeal to people who have who are who are cash rich and time poor, effectively, um, and uh, and really serve them well by delighting them with uh, a fun product uh, and, a, and, a, and a lifestyle and experience that um, they felt they deserved effectively. Um, so in terms of specific tactics for, for that, the Tube was, was absolutely, in London, was absolutely the, the thing that made us successful. Um, but it was scary because it was hugely expensive. It didn't work. You can't just do it for one month and then come off. It, it, you have to build brand awareness, uh, and we, that's something that we had to really hold our nerve with, with a limited budget. Um, but after a few months, it starts giving you returns, and then people know about you. Um, and I'm always very, very proud of the fact that people who were not even in our target demographic or, or whatever had seen the ads, and they remember it, and they, they, they know who, who we are. Um, I think that was really really key, but then also you've got to drive them to, onto a product that matches the expectations as well. So if you have a high brand quality and then they go to the, your website or app and think, well, actually, this is really clunky, then that's not going to go well. Um, so really trying to maximize that feel of quality beyond our abilities in, in terms of budget, um, but really shoot high um, on, on quality. Would you recommend, considering you're currently advising a number of businesses, would you recommend or, or do you see other businesses also benefiting from a similar approach to tube advertising? Or do you, because I think your point is really relevant. Uh, lots of people do tube ads and don't stick with it. And mm. so, you know, I mean, even some huge brands that we're all aware of, they, yeah. they only do it for like a month. I think that's, you have to do it month by month. Is that correct? Yeah, you, well, you have two week bursts. The general pattern will be two weeks on and then two weeks off. And then in, in rotation, the only one that I remember when we were doing Love Struggle, we thought your budget was incredible, was Amazon when they were doing Kindle. I think they booked the maximum you could book, which was 8,000 panels across the Tube network permanent, in permanent position. There's a, a relative story with, with Love Struck, which was um, Match. Uh, saw we were on the Tube and part of their reaction was to book for a whole year in permanence as well. So that was really hard. But in fact, we found, and there's so many, with marketing and brand, there's so many things that you, you make assumptions, but actually they work in reverse. So in fact, the match was there the whole time. They just raised the profile of the whole category. So what they did, they normalized online dating uh, from a marketing perspective, and uh, we found our results improved as a result of their spend. So you would think, oh no, you're killing us, but actually, you're helping the category. So, you know, I think we, we, we learned not to make too many huge assumptions, uh, especially uh, about that. But tracking marketing is also the, the killer. So you don't know. You don't know. And so does that mean, based on your experience, you would or wouldn't recommend it to other businesses? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that's a, it depends. But yeah. I'm interested <clears throat> to understand what you think it depends on. And I guess the other thing is, um, again, I've heard a lot of conflicting information just about out outdoor advertising in general, yeah. about um, you know, whether it's better to be um, kind of smaller 
uh, adverts, but actually in, in carriages or in buses, as opposed to you know, outdoor posters or be on the outside of the buses um, or, or in the tube stations. And I'm sure you experimented with that because I'm sure the temptation was there to see if you could optimize. So uh, again, those, those two aspects would be interesting. We found in carriage was so much better because of uh, dwell time and people looking at it and taking it in and thinking about it. They had time there. But if you're rushing past a poster on a on an escalator, I think it works well for the shows in the West End. Uh, it's just quick awareness stuff. Um, I think with something that needs a bit more of a consideration pro, uh, process, we found sitting in front of it and maybe laughing at something that you've read and, and feeling warm about it in taking that away, I think I think that I think that was a lot better. Uh, I would certainly advise all startups to think clearly about brand. It's uh, and I, I'm a product person at heart, but brand in some ways is the place to start, even before the product, because it's got to resonate, it's got to work, it's got to stick together. It doesn't that doesn't mean you can't change as time goes on. Evolution is key as well. So we we certainly evolved with Lovestruck brand, but it was pretty close to where we started, where we, we knew in there was a core of a good idea. So I would, I would say don't necessarily start throwing money at marketing, but I think marketing is, is different again these days. You don't necessarily have to spend huge money with, you know, with external agencies. You can do so much through content, you can do so much through awareness in other ways. Um, so I would only advise uh, other companies to not make any assumptions and test, try a scientific method as much as you can. Uh, make some, take some hypotheses and and test them using the incredible social tools that are out there now. I mean, we didn't have access to that at that time because it was very early days with Facebook and Twitter. Um, but now, you know, the intelligence that you get back and the 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 size of your test can be very big, very cheap, and very quick. So. Again, I would just say always take a broad review of the tools that are out there and, and, and try a brand and, and try a position and even if you're directing people to a landing page to capture people's interest, try a different uh, range of tone of voice and position um, because you might think that's, you know, the product is the most amazing thing but actually it's the way you speak to your customer that that's going to be the difference between something that's quite small and something that's quite big, um, and that that's a real real key thing. And I and I'm speaking as someone who 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 loves tech and product and every detail of it. But you know, unless you're speaking to your customers in the right way, you're not going to get very far. And that brings me on to the final thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is selling. Now, obviously, you've got a, a couple of aspects of selling uh, in relation to Lovestruck. You've obviously got selling the entire business, which you've alluded to already, um, but you've also got selling as in using e-commerce on mobile. Um, and then my guess is that you've also got other forms of selling like referral selling and then things like this as well because you were a consumer product and I'm sure that you guys figured out just like I have that you know viral has got to be a huge aspect to your business because it's about people meeting other people, which is exactly what the kind of viral marketing is mm. is kind of about. So um, yeah, so I mean, what was your experience with selling? And I guess, again, what would you do uh, differently nowadays? Yeah, I think, I think um, some businesses are quite straightforward in terms of the way that you will have a product and others will recommend them freely. 
and want to promote. But there was a paradox with with dating, which was that uh, people would talk about it word word of mouth, but wouldn't necessarily be social sharers. Uh, so we had to try and find ways to get our happy customers to share and talk to others about their experience. It wasn't as easy as to say put a put a, a post on Facebook and it was highly commercial and 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 it was an offer or something or you would give them a gift. You, you it's not something you would buy as a gift for somebody else as well. So it was there were there, we had to tread quite carefully around that. Where bizarrely we found meetups and events. Our events were brilliant ways to sell to new customers because we would allow people to come to our events at a free mixer type events and they would bring their colleagues uh, and they would see the brand in action in in the real world so again it's there's a there's a lot of um, counterintuitive facets of 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 an online business that I, I don't think it's just dating I think I, I think sometimes your digital product you put people together to talk about digital products then that, that creates um, great sales opportunities. Um, I think we used a lot of affiliates. We used a lot of marketing agencies. We 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 were really active with with all of these things, and some some were disastrous. And some we did partnerships with uh, O2 people like that. You know, large corporates who wanted a slice of the Valentine's Day romance action, and that was great for PR. PR didn't necessarily transfer to direct sales for us um, but it did create further awareness and how do you track that six months 12 months down the down the road when they see one of your tube ads or an online ad so the science i think is better than it ever has been with the tracking tools that you can track between online and offline there's we were building our own tracking systems a lot of the time i wouldn't recommend anyone does that now I think tools are are incredible at the moment. So um, I think you can you can spend less time and less money to get to where you need to get to if you have the right idea. But you've got to again, nothing is a is a is a magic bullet. Um, you have to read the data, read the read the signals. Um, but I think you can spend less time building those kind of tools. And so, uh, if you were kind of uh, creating a new business today yeah um, are there any you know, kind of technologies that you think you know, I would definitely use them or alternatively uh, technologies that you would be investigating maybe around the monetization side mm. of things um, and again I think this because it's it's obviously uh, right at the cusp of commercialization which obviously relates to um, you know ultimately being able to uh, sell a product and things like that do you think there's any strategic aspects that relate to how you sell that ultimately relate to how you sell the business yeah I, this sounds like a, a repeat answer to every question but so so much is is shifting in every industry so we were subscription model it was safe it was highly profitable uh, way to 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 get people locked in on on a subscription and and you know we had customers who were there will, willingly and having a great time for a very long period so your lifetime value is, is fantastic um, but customer expectations shift uh, and I think with particularly with mobile uh, a, a pre when we when we started there was mobile and there was free and they were bad both in both areas they were bad products they were they were a second a second class experience uh, 
And what happened was that those those services that were free and mobile became better in in a lot of ways than the the paid services. So um, I really I really think that having an agile revenue model is is potentially the the key to getting yourself from startup where you're working with uh, one set of assumptions and one one set of customers to when you want to sell the business things could have shifted quite a lot so constant testing um, of different business models I, th I think you can't be too wed to one um, charging model and also payments have, have changed uh, dramatically towards uh, mobile payments through app stores or whatever so um, we looked at I mean there were, there were some false things along the way so a lot of people talking about about micro payments uh, carrier billing things like this which didn't happen we could have spent a, a year trying to adjust to carrier billing or micro payments I'm glad we didn't because that wasn't really where it was going uh, for our particular market so um, again you can't assume anything I, I, would, I would say mobile is obviously here to stay and, and those app, app store payments are great for a consumer product, uh, although quite costly in some ways, but um, you, you can't resist it. And are there any strategic things that in hindsight you did well uh, from a perspective of ultimately selling the business? Being able to launch in other countries was really useful, but I think, and I think we made the choice of choosing those countries well. So we launched in Hong Kong and Singapore. We effectively exported what we were doing well here to a different continent, but one that had a less developed market, had cheaper marketing, um, but culturally wasn't such a huge shift um, that when we would have to change everything that we did to do it. So we could have gone into mainland China um, but I think we would have failed really badly because not just language but also cultural expectations of what we were doing, it just was incompatible. Um, and actually the, the buyer who came uh, from Hong Kong has since launched uh, Lovestruck into mainland China but with the right resources and the right expertise and the right knowledge. So I think we made some good choices around Hong Kong and Singapore. Those were markets that were underdeveloped and were open to a western style brand coming in and doing something different uh, and and we made rapid progress there um, so new uh, choosing new markets but not having to change your entire entity <laughs> to do that because um, that could be hugely distracting um, and you don't know the outcome so again it was it was a good test um, and a good good bit of hypothesis making. Okay, so moving on to, I guess, my, my final question for you during this podcast is, uh, you, you mentioned that you've been doing some advising. So yeah. I'm really interested to know uh, what you see as coming up that is exciting you. And, and I guess it wouldn't be the Flip Flip podcast if I didn't ask, you know, how you think mobile is going to have an impact on it. But I suspect coming from Lovestruck, mm -hmm. you're probably already thinking about how mobile is going to have an impact on it. Um, so yeah, what do you see coming up? Uh, I'm quite naturally led, and maybe this is because of the of the past, by um, using technology to connect people in in new ways, and uh, this has led me onto a really some really interesting discussions with businesses about um, how 
businesses and employ employees and businesses are going to work together in the future and, and how um, I'm not not necessarily recruitment but building uh, the future of work is is something that that feels so interesting um, particularly the technology um, to enable mobile working and uh, there's been a lot about the gig economy recently um, that that is so interesting but also how to build businesses in the future that have flexible staff but engage staff at the same time not per hour but long-term relationships with workers who might not necessarily be in the building and i know it's something that you do well yourself in your business which i found absolutely fascinating is how you can have a hybrid team remote uh in-house and uh other people working on different uh, different arrangements. So this is really going to increase, I think, as time goes on. So this is something I've been I've been looking at. And and again, it's less about breaking work down into units of time for just grunt work. It's more about uh, the future of employee relation, employee employer relations. Um, and I think there's a really good way to do that um, with mobile technology. And I think it's lagging. I, I think the technology has been there for a long time, uh, and the the world of work is designed. Was designed a hundred years ago, or you know, and uh, and is currently stuck about forty, fifty years ago, um, and how that's going to suddenly change. I think um, when uh, artificial intelligence and robots really start um, taking away a lot of those jobs, uh, and I think maybe uh, younger people as well. I, there's you know, a variety of statistics showing how the next generation of uh, workers are not going to want to fit into that structure. So there's going to be a big gap for junior staff coming in uh, to companies. So it's how to help employee, employers change um, and get ready for those big shifts that are coming. Um, so it sounds quite vague and uh, top level, but uh, that's certainly something that really interests me. And, and I think it's really about creating some emotional well-being, um, which we did a lot with Lovestruck, actually, with, with, which was... It was very emotional and people focused, um, and a lot of care. People, even though they were remote, is how you how employers will be doing that with their remote workers because there's a lot of disenfranchised remote workers, from what I can tell, who are only being paid for small units of time. Uh, it's how to shift that into something that is more rewarding for people uh, in in the future. And I noticed that you you didn't put a big emphasis on uh, consumer oriented products. Is that because you're you're thinking maybe what we'll see you doing next is going to be more B two B or possibly I, I, I'm I'm more interested in in uh, people in in society and work necessarily more than strict B two B tooling or, or or software but I I, I certainly am very interested to apply some knowledge of consumer. Um, products and and what makes those tick into into business into business tools um, but again I, I, I'm always seem to have want to have a focus on 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 the end users on people uh, and, and and people in technology making those two quite um, separate entities better by having each other rather than being separate I think that's really really a a key driver for me. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast, Lawrence. Where can people find out more about you or how should they get in touch? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, or my Gmail address, which is lawrenceholloway at gmail.com.
Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you very much, Ian.